Hello and welcome to this Owl Explains Hootenanny, our podcast series where you can wise up on blockchain and Web3 as we talk to the people seeking to build a better internet. Owl Explains is powered by Avalabs, a blockchain software company and participant in the Avalanche ecosystem. My name is Silvia Sanchez, project manager of Owl Explains, and with that, I'll hand it over to today's amazing speakers. Hello, and welcome to this new episode of the Owl Explains podcast. My name is Davide Pateri, and today I'll be hosting this chat on the digital euro. As you know, the European Union is working on plans for a potential European Central Bank digital currency, or CBDC. Back in June, the European Commission launched a proposal for a legislative design for a retail digital euro, and the potential and feasibility of the project is now being assessed by the European Central Bank which should come to a decision next month in October. I have two esteemed guests joining me today to talk about this. Anne-Sophie Gogol, Executive Board Member of the Digital Euro Association, and Peter Kirstens, Senior Advisor and Co-Head of the FinTech Task Force at the European Commission's Directorate General for Financial Stability, Financial Services, and Capital Markets Union. I would like to start by asking our speakers to introduce themselves. And Sophie, can you start by telling us a bit more about yourself, your work, and when you start being interested in the digital euro? Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here today um, on your podcast and to talk about a very interesting topic, um, the digital euro. I have been focusing on CBDC and related topics such as blockchain and crypto assets for three and a half years now. Um, I became aware of the topic at the Bundesdruckerei, the German national printer, where, where I worked for almost 10 years now. They print banknotes and, of course, also looked into the future of money. I started then to be active in the Digital Euro Association in 2021, first as a fellow, then as an expert, and since May 2023, so of this year, I'm uh, the, on the board of the Digital Euro Association. The DEA is an independent association with many experts from all disciplines, so legal, technical, and so on, um, that looks at all possible forms of regulated digital euro. I'm significantly responsible for policy communication or political communication there, and I was also chair of the there's position papers on the public digital euro and especially also on the for the commentary um, on the proposal for uh, the digital euro. Thanks very much, Anne-Sophie. Uh, Peter, over to you. Yes, so I'm Peter Kersens. I am advisor uh, for technological innovation and cybersecurity at the European Commission's um, Financial Services Department. And I have led our work on digitalization in finance uh, since 2015. I'm a career civil servant, so I've been at the European Commission for much longer. But since 2015, I've been focusing uh, on digital finance issues, ranging from cloud computing to security, authentication, blockchains, artificial intelligence. And if you work on and are taking interest in digitalization of finance than the digitalization of money and ultimately a digital central bank um, digital currency isn't too far off so this um, automatically ends up in uh, the area in which i'm active so that has been my involvement 
Um, and I'm very, very happy to be here and to discuss with you, Davide, and but also with Anne-Sophie, um, the EU's intentions or plans or aspirations for a digital euro. Thanks, Peter. And I would actually like to start off with the question that gives the title to this episode. Why do we need a digital euro? And I would like to start with Anne-Sophie. Uh, thank you. Very important question. Um, digitalization has changed many things. Um, as Peter already said, there are more and more applications and possibilities in the digital world. And so the payment behavior of citizens has also changed. While there used to be only banknotes and coins for payment, we, the citizens, now have the option of paying with various possibilities, like with cards, with PayPal or Apple Pay, just to name a few also in the digital world. And unlike cash, these digital payment options are offered by private companies, which base their business model or their revenue on various business models, like also um, collecting data. And um, we don't know exactly what they use them for, but of course they collect our data. The ECB has noticed this trend and now in line with their mandate, wants to issue a regulated and independent digital currency, the digital euro, alongside cash. And several factors play a role here. Financial independence from private payment solutions, financial and digital inclusion, access to money in times of crisis, like natural disasters, for example, but also financial stability, just to name a few. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the overview. Um, Peter, I would like to ask you the same question. In your view, why do we need a digital euro? Well, Anne-Sophia has already given uh, the main reasons, but I would like to highlight two or three. Um, first, as our societies become ever more digital, we also need to be able to pay um, in this. And it is currently not possible to use a public means of payment official currency, um, paper form, in a digital environment. You can only use commercial bank money-based payment instruments or privately issued uh, stable coins or payment instruments uh, to make payments in a digital economy. Uh, and so there's just no public option. That, that's one reason. But also in the, in the I would say, in the, in the offline world, um, cards, any type of cards, any kind, type of mobile phone-based uh, payments all run currently run on commercial bank or private uh, privately issued uh, money and so a big reason is that there is no public option uh, in this and um, it is considered important to offer this public option second reason is that while cash remains very important and is um uh, the means of payment of preference for many, many people um, and for a number of reasons, including some that do not have the inclusion to use cards or that do not have the, 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 the skills or the access to use uh, electronic means of payments. Um, so cash remains important. We do see that cash is going down across the Eurozone and therefore it is important that there, uh, a public option to pay also is available um, to compensate 
um, for the reduction in the use of cash. And then finally, but I'd say, uh, I would say a, a group of reasons is that a digital euro can contribute to financial inclusion. It can contribute to cheaper and faster payments. Um, uh, public money presents a number of advantages uh, for conducting monetary policy um, for the ECB. Um, and finally, and that we shouldn't forget is that central banks are very trusted entities and people need to have trust in the money and the payment instruments that um, uh, they use and who can uh, give more trust than uh, the, the central bank can. So these are reasons in favor of a digital euro, but that does not mean that we have decided that there will be a digital euro or that we need a digital euro that discussion is still ongoing, uh, but we're just uh, looking at making the digital euro a possibility, and then we will uh, decide on, and the ECB in particular will decide as to whether or not it is necessary. Thanks. Um, we mentioned the proposal on the digital euro by the European Commission, but the EU is not the only jurisdiction that's thinking about the design of a CBDC. Um, our latest I Will Explains podcast episode delved into plans for a digital pound being assessed by the Bank of England. And we know that also outside of Europe, other countries have already implemented central bank digital money with different results. Uh, so I would like to ask you, Peter, what makes, in your view, the design of the digital euro different from other CBDCs? Um, well, the, the actual design hasn't been set yet, so it's in a way too early to say whether the design will be different or the same, but we can look at trajectories. Uh, and um, especially if we also look at other CBDC initiatives that are being taken in other jurisdictions, some that are further ahead and that have been implemented um, already. And there we can sort of compare and contrast uh, a little bit. So. I think it's it's fair to say that uh, the interest in central bank digital currency uh, predates the emergence of private stablecoins. So central banks, a number of central banks were already looking for all kinds of reasons at a central bank digital currency before people ever heard about stablecoins, which was around the time that uh, Libra was announced. Then there was this, but that announcement and then the emergence of very large um, stablecoins um, really gave a lot of uh, momentum to the CBDC debate across the world. And because it's the emergence of private stablecoins that gave really a momentum to the development, a lot of jurisdictions are considering using the same technology stack for their CBDC. So they say, well, we, want, we, we are going to do a, or we're considering a central bank digital currency as a public alternative to these private stable coins, and therefore they use the same technology. Um, but in the EU, a DLT-based or a blockchain-based digital euro for retail use is, is not really the main option. Um, and preference uh, goes, for the time being at least, for uh, more tested and more familiar technologies. Um, so what we're really looking at and what our colleagues at the ECB and the Eurosystem are really looking at is more a retail payment system based on public money, based on the digital euro, rather than a retail payment system based on commercial bank money or private stablecoins. So um, 
That doesn't mean that it will not be uh, based on a distributed ledger technology or that distributed ledger technology will not end up playing a role um, in this. And we'll also need to say, we'll also need to see what the European legislator will say on this, the Council of Ministers, the European Parliament, because uh, they may want to weigh in on uh, design features of uh, the euro or say, well, it should be this technology, that technology. Um, So I would say that for those that are interested in central bank digital currency and that those people who count on the digital euro being a crypto or a blockchain euro issued by the ECB and the euro system, these people may end up being disappointed or maybe relieved, depending on their perspective on uh, on blockchains and uh, distributed ledger technology, or... As, and we'll need to see how that goes, they may end up being positively surprised if uh, by the time we move towards the actual implementation, distributed ledger technology plays a smaller or bigger role uh, in the final uh, digital euro design. Great, thank you. Um, Sophie, I'm turning to you now. What do you think will be the main competitive advantage of the digital euro? Well, as it was already said before, there are no final decisions on the digital euro yet, so it is difficult to know the competitive advantage yet. But of course, it looks like there will be a digital euro, and in the last two years, the ECB investigation phase took place, and the results offer a little insight into the possible design of a digital euro. However, it is not clear how it will be shaped in the end, right? For this reason, I would formulate wishes that I believe would add value to the digital euro over the digital payment options, the private digital payment options. So I think a high level of privacy should uh, be uh, put in place, offline capability and user friendliness, which means that it is a digitally inclusive um, option. Concerning CBDCs from other jurisdictions, I don't think we need a competitive advantage. I think they need to be interoperable. So as we have exchange rates for coins and banknotes at the moment, we might find a digital counterpart for this in the in the future. Thank you. I wanted to go back to something you said before. You mentioned privacy and indeed one of the most essential aspects of the potential design of the digital euro as put forward by the European Commission is its high level of privacy, which um, will be comparable with that of cash. Yet concerns have been raised both online and offline about EU policymakers allegedly anticipating the demise of cash and being able maybe to decide what retail customers will be able to spend their digital money on. Um, We have also noticed that the European Commission recently ramped up its communication efforts on this, saying, in the words of Commissioner McGuinness, that this is not a Big Brother project. Um, Peter, in the next few months, negotiations will also involve potentially the European Parliament, and we have already seen MEPs taking on board some of these concerns on privacy. How will the European Commission convince them that the digital euro will be private, and how private will it actually be? Um, well, David, uh, privacy is absolutely essential for any currency and any digital currency, any digital euro uh, uh, development. If if it's not private, if people are not 
confident that their data, that their privacy is protected, they will just not use, they do not want to use um, the digital euro, and for good reason. And when we did our public consultations before issuing the proposal, uh, it was interesting that it was the number one issue that came out. If we said, what are people really interested in when it comes to the digital euro? It wasn't about the design and it should be a crypto or not crypto. It, it wasn't even um, that it, they really wanted public money. They wanted privacy as a number one uh, objective. And so users must have the assurance that their privacy is protected and that any data uh, will be processed in accordance with EU principles and EU law governing privacy. Because, of course, a digital euro is going to be digital and anything that's digital leaves a digital footprint. So, uh, and that sort of um, sets it apart from cash. Like you can pay in cash without leaving much of a footprint, although even cash leaves traces, cash smells apparently. Um, so um, you can trace cash around, it's numbered, but it's, it's, it's quite hard. And every, everything you do digital leaves digital footprints that people may want to, um, uh, want to follow, may want to trace. But it's important to bear in mind that the central bank, as the issuer of a central bank digital currency, is not a commercial operation. They're not interested in snooping on people. They're not interested in harvesting data and selling them for whatever purposes. The central bank just is not interested in what people uh, do, what people buy. They're interested in running uh, um, a system uh, and making a means of payment, a public means of payment available. Now, very important in this entire privacy discussion is that if you scratch a bit at the surface, uh, a lot of people say they want privacy, but actually what they want is anonymity. And anonymity is not the same thing as privacy. Anonymity is that no one knows anything. And anonymity is very, very, very hard to achieve in a digital environment. And also it's, it can be problematic. Uh, for example, if everything is anonymous, it's becoming very difficult, if not impossible, to counter, for example, illicit finance, money laundering, and so on. So anonymity isn't always uh, available. And even if you pay in cash in a number of our member states, if you pay large amounts of cash, your anonymity is going to be lifted. People will want to sort of say, well, where do you get this money from? Uh, what's the source of it? Who are you? So absolutely. And if I may, may jump in, even if you pay small amounts, like at the bakery, they still know if you have, you are male, like how old are you approximately? Do you have children? Are you coming regularly? So they even have information about you if you pay with cash, right? So it's not anonymity like no information at all it's never possible yeah absolutely absolutely and so people who say well we want a digital euro that guarantees anonymity that's just not possible it's not going to happen and it's also undesirable true yeah i i totally agree privacy plays a major role as you said already that's what um citizens gave as a feedback to the ECB survey on the digital euro. For me, it means, of course, we have to define 
which uh, we have to to answer the question: Who has access to which data and when? And um, it can be seen, however, uh, in other digital applications that if user friendliness is restricted by protection of a privacy, the citizen is more likely to look at the applications than at privacy. And we saw it with the GDPR um, restrictions that normally everybody is accepting cookies without thinking about who is tracking what behind because they want to look at the website, right? So I think that user friendliness is as important as privacy. We can't just think about anonymity and privacy on one hand, without thinking about how to make it user-friendly and accessible anyways. I don't want to pu press a lot of buttons all the time uh, before using the digital euro, right? To accept all possible um, tracking tools or whatever. So we need to have a balance between um, user-friendliness and privacy. And um, user-friendliness for me means easy to understand handling and um, the practi practical use cases. So after all, why should I as a citizen switch to a new system if the old current system like Apple Pay, PayPal or card paying works very well? So I need to have a motivation uh, to use the digital euro, right? Um, and just to add on that also, I think we should mention that in parallel to the proposal on the establishment of the digital euro, the European Commission also published a proposal on the legal tender status of banknotes and coins with the objective to strengthen their role in payments. So it's very important to see both proposals at the same time to see that it's not at all the idea of a commission on, or an ECB to track the user at the end and the payment of the user, but to have a variety of payment methods offered by a central institution, right? So I guess we should look at all of these uh, bouquet of flowers that we get from the ECB. For Absolutely. That's very interesting. And if I can go back to that, um, Anne-Sophie, you mentioned the user-friendliness. I agree that's very important. And you also mentioned the you know, the, the cookies that and, you know, all the pop-ups that we get when we navigate online and all the clicks that we need sometimes to access websites, which are needed, but indeed hamper maybe the user friendliness. Um, it seems like we haven't really gotten anything better than that so far. So what are the ideas maybe that are being floated with regards to the user friendliness of the digital euro? Can it get better than that? Well, I'm not a tech expert, but when I get in touch with our experts at the DEA, I know that there is like in the background possibilities that are checking several datas and tracking datas or just like, for example, let's say you want to buy cigarettes and cigarettes are just or alcohol and you're just allowed to pay it when you're 18 or, or 16, depending on the country, I guess. Um, then there it just it could ask like the application could ask you the digital wallet could ask you if you already have this age right so you can say yes i am 16 18 and just for this transaction so the the payee doesn't know at all if you're female 
and um, where you live or whatever doesn't have any more data, just one data about your age. And so there's a couple of background system possibilities which help with privacy and um, which can be applied in in the in the digital euro system in the whole system um, to to be able to yeah um, have a private solution and for me as well it's important to have not only just one institution that is taking care or like is being responsible for the um, digital euro but to have like a couple institutions so that we have supervisors that's the basic of a democratic system right we have the legislative executive and judicative system and that's what makes it democratic that we have supervision of different institutions and so on and i guess that's something we need to establish as well in the in the digital euro ecosystem that we have different players looking at the system and controlling each other also to make sure it's always um, on point and um, yeah, respecting democratic values. And, and to this point, that is also the reason why there currently is a legislative proce- a proposal on the table so that this is not a decision just by the ECB, but that the legitimacy of a potential digital euro comes from the European legislator, from the parliament and from the member states. The European Commission proposed it, the Council of uh, Ministers and the European Parliament will decide. And that is entirely appropriate um, in um, a democracy where uh, the rule of law governs. Also on the point on on the user experience and the user friendliness of it, of course, Whatever the digital euro will look like, it's not going to be a system that is end-to-end run and managed and operated by the central bank. It's going to be placed in the market through intermediaries who will offer what they call wallets, because that's the terminology for digital euro, which may or may not look uh, very similar to accounts, but anyway, let's call them wallets. And uh, these wallets will not be centrally designed. Every bank that offers um, digital euro services or other intermediaries that offer digital euro services will provide their wallets and they will also compete on user friendliness. Now, of course, it's these wallets interact with, uh, uh, with people, with the users, with the payee, and they need data, they collect data uh, in, uh, uh, when they have to um, conduct transactions. But it's very important that people who provide wallet services, who provide these wallets, they are also bound by the rules on privacy and data protection. They cannot use this data for anything else than the, transa- the, 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 um, the processing of the transaction. So the idea that this is going to become one big uh, hoover to, co- to suck up all this data to then start micromanaging or microanalyzing people's behavior this really is stuff for uh, for Hollywood uh, films uh, or for people who believe in conspiracy theory, but it's not at all the intention and it's not at all uh, the interest uh, of the European legislature, of the European institutions, of the central banks and of the community around building uh, a digital euro to a successful uh, outcome. 
Thanks very much. That's very interesting. Can we go back to the um, the chat that we had earlier about the technology? Peter, you said that indeed um, different technological solutions are being considered for the digital euro, and it looks like it will not be geared towards decentralized ledger solutions. So can I just ask you maybe to elaborate on that? I would like to know what is, in your view, the stance of the European Commission towards DLTs and how much do you think this view is also informed or influenced by recent events in crypto? Well, the European Commission's stance on distributed ledger technology is that we believe it is transformational technology for the digital society. And we are, throughout many departments, very bullish on the technology and its potential. Uh, the Web3 developments, who knows, uh, the metaverse or the future of the internet in a more decentralized way will rely on distributed ledger technology. I'm absolutely convinced of this and so are many of my colleagues. But that doesn't mean that distributed ledger technology is the solution to every problem. There are, it's very good for certain issues. It may be less good for other issues. Um, and so we need to see. So now we've seen uh, a number of events in the crypto space. Uh, and I think you are alluding to the collapse of important players uh, there uh, last year and, and earlier this year. And while these were dramatic, they actually had very little to do with distributed ledger technology. These were really very traditional examples of hubris, poor governance, fraud, and so on. And while distributed ledger technology or crypto might have gotten a bit of a bad rap through it, if you look at what really happened, it was very old-fashioned, poor financial management and poor governance. So we do not, or we have not lost our confidence in the potential distributed ledger technology um, uh, as a result of these events. But that does not mean that we think that distributed ledger technology is the only way to implement a digital euro. It is a way. It is not currently the front runner. It may never become the front runner, but or maybe it, it does become the front runner. It really is um, too early to say, and it will depend very much on the next stage of the investigation and the trials and the testing to see what system really is the best for the best outcome of a digital euro in the best interest of citizens. What really gives citizens the best experience, the most uh, powerful digital euro? That really is going to be the determining factor, not the technology, but what gives the best result for the user. Thanks, Peter. Um, I wanted to turn to Anne-Sophie, maybe just to elaborate a bit on a bit more on the decentralization aspects. Uh, and Sophie, do you think that a CBDC could ever incorporate some of the benefits of decentralized currencies? And how decentralized could central bank money ever be? Well, good question. At first glance, it certainly seems contradictory that a centralized institution is using a decentralized infrastructure to release a digital currency. Um, we need to ask the question, what is the benefit of decentralization um, is, is it about security about trust or something else 
if we talk about also the question is, is it about distributed ledger technology or decentralization may be also in access? Like we have intermediaries who will um, who will give out the, the digital euro, probably different intermediaries. And so this is also a kind of decentralization, right? So um, I guess the question about how to use distributed ledger technology for CBDCs, you may answer this question better than I can. But uh, yeah, as Peter already said, currently it looks like uh, the ECB doesn't want to use a distributed ledger technology. And for other purposes, we have some kind of decentralized systems as well, right? As I said, access is one um, and also responsibilities and supervision. It's all about like different institutions being part of, of the whole system. So we have some kind of decentralized system, but maybe not in technology. Yeah. On this point, I think it's important that, of course, it's, a pay it's going to be a payment system and payment systems are decentralized. You have lots of intermediaries, but it's clear that as it's going to be public money, it's going to be issued by a central authority, a central entity, the central bank. So decentralized issuance is not possible for a digital euro because then you'll have private money. Private money can be decentralized issued, but public money is centrally issued, but decentral it can be decentrally distributed and used. And that's a great segue to the next question that I had about intermediaries. Um, by design, private banks will also act as intermediaries between retail customers and the digital euro. Um, they don't seem thrilled by it so far, maybe. Um, they will need to provide additional services for a very low or near zero retribution. Um, plus, they fear that the digital euro will divert flows from bank deposits. On the other hand, though, merchants and businesses in Europe may benefit from faster, frictionless payment services with no fees. Um, so, Peter, can you maybe elaborate a bit on what value will the digital euro be uh, bringing to private intermediaries? Well, I think that intermediaries that are in the business to stay want to offer services that their customers want and need. They, if they're focused on providing the services that gives them the most revenues or the least costs and not on what the customers really want, I don't think there is a long future. And we see that people in the EU, throughout the EU, have a lot of confidence in public money, much more confidence than in private money. And therefore, we're, that's why we're working on a digital euro, so that to have the public money option, and in technical terms, the digital euro will be a claim on the central bank to have that um, available. And I would expect that banks that care or financial intermediaries that care about their customers would want to offer and would want to intermediate the services and the products that the customers want and need. Um, and if they fail to do that, they're going to have unhappy customers and their possibility to 
make profit from servicing, servicing their customers, which is ultimately the purpose of their activity, is going to suffer from that. So I think that a lot of this debate is turned around as saying, well, how much is it going to cost us to distribute the digital euro and how much money are we going to make on it? And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think that in a digital uh, society, the intermediary should look what, what services um, do our customers want and how can we provide them better and cheaper than the colleague next door or across the street or across the border? Thank you. Um, and Sophie, I'm turning to you now. You have defined yourself as a CBDC maximalist, and part of your work is also advising policymakers on the best design for a potential digital euro. Uh, can you let us know what the best design for a digital euro would be and how feasible would that be? Yeah, um, I think um, every central bank must first ask itself what task its CBD should, uh, CBDC should fulfill and why it wants to issue a CBDC. So what is the motivation for a CBDC? Um, this is also where I see my current role, I ask questions to help answer the question on the best design for each motivation. So best design differs from country to country. And But that said, there are two important fundamental building blocks that I would always want to put in place. First, a CBDC must imply democratic values for me. So distribution of responsibilities, as we said before, and supervision among different institutions and based on fundamental rights. So as we already talked about in the privacy part of this podcast um, um, discussion, that of course we want to, um, to keep the fundamental rights for the citizens. Um, and second, we have seen in recent years how rapidly technologies are developing. It is therefore important that the CBDC is based on a system that is developable and not obsolete in 10 years. So we need to keep it as open as possible for developments and updates so that we can, we, yeah, we will still always have a modern system. Peter, do you want to elaborate on that as well? I think it's, that's uh, very well said and very important, what, what Ansi mentioned there, is that we, we don't develop a new public currency every day. So it's sort of uh, this, uh, it, it's once every few decades, if not more, that we have a development like this. And if you go with this, you have to develop something, you have to implement something that is going to be ready for many years, decades to come. And that can be adapted to the technologies there. That um, we have no idea where, um, for example, decentralized technologies and distributed ledgers are going, uh, are going to go and how important a role they will play um, in the future. But if big parts of our economic activity or our online activity is Web3 based, is decentralized. I don't know whether that will be the case, but if it is the case, it would be very sad and um, concerning that a digital euro could not play a role in that 
because it can't operate in a decentralized environment. So therefore, any design has to cater for the possibility of decentralization. That said, a lot of the decentralization potential is in the future. It may or may not happen. And responsible policymaking and responsible design also has to reflect on what is currently possible. What can we do? What are we confident in that will work and that can work? So, And this is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult uh, to, to make the right choice because it's, of course, easier to go for something that you know and you have a lot of history on because uh, you're familiar with it. But by looking only at what you know very well, you may be blind to what is coming. Absolutely. And I think I want to go back to something you mentioned. As you said, Peter, uh, you know, the current scenarios, especially in technology, can change and evolve very quickly. Um, I have one final question for you both. What, what are your expectations from the ECB's current investigation phase um, and from the upcoming policy negotiations? What are your three wishes for the digital euro? First, I'm, uh, Anne-Sophie is a digital euro maximalist. I am a technology maximalist. I am very confident that all of the technology investigations that the ECB is doing will demonstrate that all of these technologies can work because the most important part of the digital euro is not the technology. It is the confidence that the central bank gives to it and the confidence people have in the central bank. That's far more important than technology. All of these technologies will work. Some have, they, they, and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. So what I really expect or hope and what I have hope for is that now that we're moving to the policy debate, the, the democratic debate in council and parliament, is that the conspiracy theorists will not take over the discussion and turn it into uh, a game. It is a very difficult uh, discussion. There's a number of fundamental issues at stake. And so these need to have a very deep and profound discussion. That takes time. Um, so, um, for those who think that because we, we want a digital euro, we think digital euro is necessary, therefore the legislative process must be conducted in a rush, I think they're going to be disappointed. I think the parliament and the council will want to take their time because we don't want it fast, we want to get it right. Uh, and that's much more important. So if this thing takes a bit of time, do not see that as a failure, but see that as a sign that people are really interested in doing it in the right way, in the best way uh, for users. And so I very much hope that uh, the conspiracy theorists will uh, therefore get bored with this very technical and fundamental debate because there is no joy to be had um, uh, in it for them. And Sophie, I turn to you. What are your three wishes for the digital euro? Maybe also yeah. two. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, as uh... I would take the, the user perspective. So for me, uh, first of all, we need a clear definition of the use cases for citizens. So we need to know what the digital euro exists for. What is, why should I use it, right? So then the involvement of all relevant stakeholders in the discussion. So not 
only intermediaries, but retailers, consumers, all consumers. So from children to uh, deaf people to blind people to um, workers, whoever, like consumers for me is like a very broad group of people and merchants. And third, a clear delimination. So I think we need to make clear which problems should not be solved by the digital euro, but could be solved by other forms of money as well. So for me, a digital euro doesn't need to solve all problems within payments, like from micropayments, industrial payments, and so on. I think we need to make sure that we have one clear goal for the digital euro and that we don't try to solve all problems, payment problems, digital payment problems uh, in the world. That's a very good conclusion. Um, and actually, it's a wrap up. Um, thank you very much to you both for joining me today. Thank you thank for you. the invitation and the very interesting discussion. Absolutely. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed or will enjoy our conversation as much as I have today. Um, and we look forward also to hearing what's next for the digital euro. Um, I, I take the opportunity to invite our listeners to um, listen to our other podcast episodes and follow us on social media. And until next time, goodbye. We hope you enjoyed our Hootenanny. Thank you for listening. For more hopeful and hype-free resources, visit owlexplains.com. There, you will find articles, quizzes, practical explainers, suggested reading materials, and lots more. Also, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue wising up on blockchain and Web3. That's all for now on Owl Explains. Until next time.